see everyone this morning. Last night, there was a big wedding right here. We've converted it back to worship space today. We had a good time last night. Hunter and Brooke got married and uh, headed off on honeymoon today, so we're excited for them. So I'm sure you've had this happen to you. Maybe it was home, maybe it was at work, maybe it was while you're out at a coffee shop somewhere, but you're trying to download something on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. You're trying to watch a movie. You're trying to do something on the internet, but the Wi-Fi signal you have is too small, right? And you just kind of get the spinning wheel and you're like, oh, really? You know, and that Netflix movie you're trying to watch just won't load. It just takes days. Even that simple YouTube video you're trying to watch, it just takes, you know, 30 minutes to watch a 30-second clip. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody can relate this morning? Or you're trying to download something into your house and just like, come on. We had that trouble at our house for the longest time. We had a certain internet company. I won't name any names this morning. And oh my goodness, of course, at our house at the time, there were seven of us. And if anyone else came over, there could have been easily 10 people and they could have been accessing phone or tablet computer all at the same time. And just internet would just, you know, like, oh my word, do something. So we finally got another carrier and all is well, but we keep marrying off kids and that gets better too at the house. So (laughs) it's great. But when you have a small signal coming in, it doesn't matter how much is out there because you have the load of all that's out there on the internet. If your Wi-Fi signal is small, you won't get it. Hello? When it comes to all that God has for us, all the riches that are ours in Jesus Christ, if the pipeline coming into your heart is too small It really doesn't matter how much is out there if you've got a tiny coffee straw size amount of faith coming into your heart, you won't get it. The goal as you walk with Christ is to increase the size of your faith. The disciples wanted to know how to increase their faith because Jesus said to them, Oh, you of little Wi-Fi Really, really, that's what it was. Oh, you of little faith. I've got so much. You've got such little capacity. Your download speed is depressing. In our message today, we're going to talk and see what the scripture says about some things that God does to help increase our signal. Expand our faith so that we can take in what he has for us. It's interesting. uh, There's a story in the Gospels about Jesus and, uh, and a guy that was blind. And, uh, and Jesus went and healed him. And what he says afterwards is fascinating. He says, according to your faith, you have been healed. According to your faith, modern vernacular, according to your Wi-Fi signal strength, you've just experienced a miracle. Hmm. Play it back. Think about it. There are things that God has for us, bigger than we can imagine today. And he longs for us to have greater faith because he will even limit himself to the scope of our faith at times. You have not because you ask not. It will be done according to your faith. Oh, he longs for us to increase our faith size so that we can take in all that he has for us. So we're in our series 
called alive. We're looking at people in the Bible who were resurrected. And today we're going to see the part that faith plays in that. So turn your Bibles or your Bible app, whatever you've got, to 2 Kings chapter 13. Some great stories in the Old Testament that are such wonderful pictures of Christ and the work of the Spirit in our life. 2 Kings 13, 10 through 21 is where we're going to be today. Let me kind of set the stage for us, get our characters all in place. Elisha is a prophet at the time. Elisha is who we talked about last week. If you remember, Elisha was the one that God worked through to raise the Shunammite's child from the dead. Okay, it was Elisha. He was a prophet that followed Elijah. I just like to have two guys walking around, and it's Elijah and Elisha. Okay, that's what they were. Elijah died, went on to heaven. In fact, he was he was just really kind of taken to heaven, the Bible says. And Elisha, his, his disciple, basically, he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And God did it. He gave him a double portion of his spirit. The Bible records eight miracles that Elijah performed in his time here on earth. But Elisha performed 16. God gave him a double portion of his spirit, just as he had prayed for. So Elisha is a prophet at the time. He's a prophet to Israel Israel's not doing well. They're not walking in God's ways. They're, they're walking in, following after idols and walking in selfishness and placing God on the same shelf as many other gods. And Elisha preaches and preaches and tells them judgment's coming and tells them about God's mercy. And God does many miracles through Elisha to confirm his power. There was a time when Elisha took basically his coat and touched some waters and it it parted so we could walk through on it. There's another occasion where Elisha was being hounded by some guys. It was basically a gang was coming after him. And Elisha prayed and God protected because he sent two bears out of the woods to attack all these people that were attacking him. I was like that. That's some, that's some bodyguards right there. Two bears come out of the woods and just oh, take care of all of them. There was a time, of course, last week we talked about the Shunammite woman that was raised, or the child that was raised from the dead. There's another story of Elisha, like the miracle of Jesus where the loaves were, miracle, were, were uh, multiplied. There's a story in the Old Testament where that happened through Elisha. There's a story where Elisha <clears throat> is out one day and some men are, are working and they have an axe and they're chopping wood and they swing back and the axe goes, shoom, flies off into the river and shoom, just sinks to the bottom. And the guy's like, well, there goes my axe. Elisha says, hold on just a minute. He prays. Axe head rises to the surface of the water. It's a miracle. God did miraculous things through Elisha like that to prove to the people around him God is God. He's a nationally recognized character. Greater than the Billy Graham of our day, he was the Elisha in his day. Elisha is the prophet, and at the time, our story today, Jehoash is king. Now, it gets confusing in Scripture. There's Joash, Jehoash, Jehoahaz, and all. there's just crazy number of you know, variations of this name. He's a king, and he's part of the reason that Israel is walking in disobedience. He's the one who has followed after other gods. 
He's the one who has put God on the same shelf with many other idols. He's the one who's just as interested in the God of war and the God of fertility and the God of all these other things as he puts the one true God. And God says, I am God alone. You'll serve me and none other. And so this message just keeps coming loud and clear from Elisha to Jehoash. But he's so wrapped up in it, he, he makes government decrees that temples be built to all these other gods, that priests be put in place for all these other gods, that people go and worship. They are forced to go and worship at these other temples and places to keep the gods happy. And the one true God is not pleased with all of this. The other part in the story today that's important for you to know is Syria. Syria at the time had been a long time... Um, problem for Israel. They were, they were bullies. They also subscribed to the uh, all gods must be served. So they didn't like the idea that Israel subscribed to the one God theory, even though they weren't doing very well at it. And so they sought to destroy Israel. And Syria was hounding them all the time. And Israel had to be on guard against Syria. And God had protected Israel because of Elisha. God always wants his people free. He doesn't want them harassed. He doesn't want them enslaved. He wants them free. And the thing that has happened in every generation, whether it's Elisha's or whether it's our day to day, God is looking for those who will have hearts that are sold out with large faith to hear and obey what he says. When When there are people in a nation that will do that, that will put him above all else, then God will do miraculous things. But when his people keep playing as though everything else is just as important as God, when the people keep putting their pleasures and their pursuits and their money and their securities On the same playing field as God, God steps back because the people have small faith when he longs for them to have big faith. Here's our big statement for today. When God sets out to do a great work, he looks for those who will have surrendered, single-hearted, unlimited, confident faith. So today what I'm praying is that God will use this time, use his word, use his spirit to produce this in us. Amen? Can we just all in agreement say, yes, I want that too. Amen? All right, good. We can all walk down this road together then. It'll be good. Second Kings chapter 13, the story begins. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, I told you, they're all there, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned 16 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He pursued the other gods, just as interested in them as he was the one true God. Verse 14, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Hmm. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Now, at first, it sounds like such a 
poetic, sweet, heart-moving scene. Here is the king coming to the prophet. Here is the governmental authority appearing to bow before spiritual authority. And I wish I could tell you that's really what was happening here, but it's probably not. What you get more of is Joash saying, oh no, what little protection we've had from this God, we're about to lose. The chariots and the horsemen. If Elisha dies, oh my. So it sounds poetic and sweet, but I'm afraid it was very selfish on the part of Joash because he knows they're about to lose their connection with God. They're about to lose their protection their force, and their might. And here in this moment, verse 15 tells us what happens in these final moments of Elisha's life. In the final moments of all that God has done through him all through the years, it comes down to this. God is about to grant mercy one more time to Israel. And it says this in verse 15. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And let's just pause here for just a moment. It's Elisha's final moments. It's come down to this. This is what you you wait for and see. What is the prophet that God has used going to say? He's on his deathbed. He's got his final strength. And the thing that he says is take a bow and some arrows. Curious. Interesting. Take a bow and some arrows. Now, I'm not a bow hunting guy. If some of you are, please excuse my immaturity in bow hunting ways today. But I just want to think for just a minute about him getting a bow and some arrows. Of all the things that Elisha could have said, he says to Joash, get a bow and get some arrows. And he's careful to say, well, would you put your hand on it? And so here they are. Elisha's sick, about to die. He's got his hand on the arrow, and he says, Elisha, would you put your hand on the bow too? And he does. Elisha puts his hand on the king's hand. What's curious to me is we have no clue what is about to happen next. But he is very careful to do exactly what he called him to do. Jehoash doesn't hesitate. He doesn't say, well, what are we going to be shooting? Well, what are we going to be doing? You know we're in a pretty small room here. There's no target set up. I... I'm not even really sure I know how to use this thing. He doesn't hesitate. He does what he's told to do. Take a bow, get some arrows, and he does it. He's a little uncertain, so he asks 
Elisha to put his hands on the bow as well. Smart move, Jehoash. Do you know when God asks us to do something, he doesn't always give the answer and all the understanding about why you're going to do it. He just says, here's what I want you to do. Do it. Mm. The problem with us is that we want to know, well, why am I doing that? What's going to happen if I pick that up? What's going to happen next? I'm not going to know. I'm not going to step out in God's will until I know the three-year, five-year, ten-year plan. That's how we all think, right? Well, I just don't know what's going to happen next if I do this. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to have unlimited faith, you're going to have to enter the battle at God's word and God's strength. That's kind of our first big point this morning. If you're going to do what God's called you to do, if you want to have that increased size faith, you want to change it from coffee straw size up to some industrial pipe size faith where you're just downloading what God has for you. When he speaks to you, learn to have a heart that does exactly what he says without asking, well, why do I have to do that? What's going to happen next? How do I know that's going to turn out Just do what God says. You aren't going to know the why until you first pick up the bow and the arrows. Amen? That's how you increase your faith. You do what God says before you know how it's going to turn out. Jehoash picked up the bow and picked up the arrows. Good move. Obedience always comes before understanding. Let me say it again. Obedience always comes before understanding. God's not looking to just accomplish something through you. He's looking to change something in you. Let me say it one more time. God's not just looking to do something through you. He's looking to change something in you. And that change something in you happens when you say, I will do what you say even though I don't know why. All right, I think I've, I think I've made that point. <laughs> but I do know this. You don't pick up a bow and you don't pick up arrows unless you're about to go to war. Unless you're about to accomplish something. And God was about to do something big through Jehoash. He would listen. So the passage goes on, <clears throat> verse 17, and he... Elisha said, open the east window, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. Jehoash is learning something. So he goes over. I imagine he set his bow and arrow down, or bow and arrows down. He goes over, and he opens the window facing east which means there must have been other windows. There were other options, but he was very specific. Open the window on the east side. He does. Guess what is out the window to the east? Syria. Mm, Good, good job. And God's, Elisha, God says to Elisha, to Jehoash, I want you to face the east. And I want you to take your bow And he says, take an arrow, one, he says, take an arrow and shoot. And the Bible says that 
Jehoash did that. He took his one arrow, he put it in. I'm not going to shoot this, by the way. He pulled back his bow, and he got ready to shoot, and he shot. Now, if you're going to shoot an arrow, it takes some strength. It takes some skill. You have to know where you're shooting. Jehoash is in a room, and there's a window. I don't imagine it's one of you know, these nice room-with-a-view type windows. It's probably very small, and he has to be skilled. He has to know his target, and he takes the arrow, pulls it back, and he shoots the arrow through the window. Good move, Jehoash. You did exactly what God said. Because he was calling you, Jehoash, to face your enemy. You see, Syria had been the enemy, but Syria had gone a few steps further. Syria had gone and captured some of the people of God, had captured other cities. And so it was holding God's people captive. They were holding God's people as slaves. And God was saying to Jehoash through Elisha, I want you to put the arrow in the bow. I want you to face our enemy. I want you to face the one that is holding our people captive. And I want you to strike them. I want you to shoot the arrow. I want you to put it through the window facing the east right towards Syria. Because when you shot an arrow, you were saying, battle's on. This was the way the battle began. This is the way everyone knew, all right, here we go. First arrow's launched. We're going. And it was a visible symbol to all that a battle was underway, that it was time to move, that it was time to advance. It was time to accomplish the mission. Go and set the captives free. Our second big point today, if you want to have unlimited faith, you have to face the enemy determined to take back what has been lost. Now, this may be things in your own life. This may be things in your family. You may have a family member that you have seen been taken captive by the enemy. Ever had a loved one that that's happened to? You saw them walking in faith at one point. You saw them walking and progressing, but something happened. They got involved with the wrong group of friends. They They got involved with the wrong habits, and they got deep into some stuff. They ventured away from the family of faith, and pretty soon they had ventured away from God. And now all of a sudden, when you see them, you know they're not who they used to be anymore. They have been taken captive. They're enslaved. Maybe they're enslaved by a wrong attitude. Maybe they're enslaved in bitterness. Maybe they're enslaved in some addiction. Maybe they're enslaved in in some wrong belief, but they're enslaved nonetheless, and you know it. And it's, you feel like you can't do anything about it. You know what I'm talking about? You have family like that, friends like that. They're caught up in the delusion. They're caught up in the addiction, and they're just doing their thing, and you try to talk to them, and it just doesn't register. They're held captive. That's what was happening here. 
And as the king, he was the one who was called to set the captives free. And if you're going to do that in your life, you're going to have to have some unlimited faith. If you want to see some people in your family set free, if we as a church want to see God do a work in our area, if we want to make a difference in this culture today, then it comes down to us having pipeline-sized faith and not a bunch of sucking straw faith. Amen? So God's, God's going to call us, as he's calling Jehoash today, let's increase that faith. Let's get to unlimited. Let's get to where we're ready. Let's get to surrender You're going to take back what's been lost. You're going to have to hear from God, and you're going to have to have faith that's big in the moment. Let's go on with the story. Elisha says to him, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. That's what he just pronounced upon that arrow that was sent. He said, For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Jehoash, here's the deal. That arrow you just sent was the arrow of deliverance. This begins the battle. This is how you take back what's been lost. This is how you make a difference. This is how you set the captives free. You've begun it now, and now you must strike until you have destroyed them. You have to keep fighting now until you've brought captives back, until the people are set free. You have to keep striking. Look at it. You must strike the Syrians till you have destroyed them. Don't stop. Keep shooting. Use the bow. Use the arrows. And keep going until it's done. Don't stop. Don't stop because it appears the battle's not going in the same direction you want it to. Don't stop because it's getting difficult. Don't stop because it's getting to a place where you're going to have to sacrifice. Don't stop because it's going to mean your faith is going to be more than a weekend gig. Don't stop. Keep praying. Keep pursuing. Keep believing. Keep obeying. Jehoash, you've got to keep going now that we've started. Do not stop. Amen? Now, you think Jehoash would be just like, I mean, this is Elisha, the prophet of God on his deathbed, giving instructions. And you would think with it being visual, you'd think with it being in his hands, he would have gotten all of this. Look what happens. Let me make a point, and then we'll see what happens next. Unlimited faith keeps believing, praying, and obeying until the captives are set free. Verse 18. Then he said, take the arrows. Elisha says to Jehoash, take the arrows. So he took them. You're doing good so far, Jehoash. I'm really proud of you. I know you've struggled with whether God is God above all the other gods, but you're doing great here. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. Now, let's clear up some wording here. I know when you first read this, you think, okay, well, he took the arrows and he started beating them on the ground. That's not what's being talked about here. 
He's saying, when he says, strike the ground, I want you to take another arrow and I want you to shoot it at that window again until it strikes the ground. And again, remember, keep shooting until there is victory. Keep going. Do not stop until there's victory. Don't stop because you got tired. Don't stop because you didn't see the results yet. Don't stop. But Jehoash does it three times and stops. Three arrows. I'm not sure how many he had. This is 10. I don't know if he had 10, if he had 20, if his quiver was larger and it held 50. But he took three and he shot three arrows and then he stopped. If you had whatever number and you shot three, then you got some left. Seven here. Shot three, left whatever number it was. He stopped. Verse 19. And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Jehoash, you could have done more. You could have doubled. He said five or six. You could have shot six times. I told you, Jehoash, these arrows represent the deliverance of our people. These arrows represent the destruction of Syria. And you only shot three times. That's all you had faith for, Jehoash. You had small download when you could have been really streaming victory. You chose to do a little and you stopped. It wasn't because he had faith. Well, three strikes will be done. No. Elisha said, you stopped. And it angered him because he did not believe God could truly give him the victory. So he did what he thought he had to do. And he stopped. I'm sure he might have had some thoughts going through his head. You know, maybe he thought, well, I mean, I don't want to ask for too much. I'll just shoot three and kind of appease Elisha here. He may have thought, this is silly. I'm shooting an arrow through a window. How is that going to defeat Syria? He may have thought, I really don't think this is going to make a difference. I'm just appeasing a guy about to die. He might have thought, well, I'm not really in the mood to shoot. I mean, my arm's a little sore, and I, you know, I'd had a lot of work this week I was doing, and I just can't really do more than three. You know, that's what happens for all of us sometimes. God calls us to have faith for some big things in our life, to believe that God can truly resurrect something that right now seems dead. 
that God can set some captives free that you've got in your life that you think they could never be reached, they could never be changed, or you're in some impossible situation, you think, I don't think there's any way out of this. And God calls you to do something, and for a little while, you try it. You pray once. Okay, God, I prayed. I, I, I put it through the window to you, Lord. Then you said, well, okay, I'm going to pray again. You prayed again. You even really sacrificed and prayed three times, but didn't see any answers. Didn't see anything happen yet. And you stopped. You stopped believing it was possible. You shrunk your faith down and said, that's all I can get through right now is that much to my heart. That's all I can believe God for. And he said, I had so much more for you. There are captives out there, people in cities that are enslaved and dying. If you would have believed me, Jehoash, we could have set them all free. But you only believed for three arrows. Therefore, you're only going to have three victories. You're only going to have a limited amount of victory and captives being set free because you had such small faith. Only three times. You see, the scope of your victory will be determined by the size of your faith. Hmm. Let's let that sink in for just a moment. The scope of your victory, this big, this big, this big, or bigger, will be determined by the size of your faith. Little faith, little results. Big faith, big results. God, I trust you. I believe you. It doesn't seem possible in my mind. It doesn't fit with what I understand, but I'll do what you say. It may seem crazy to me. It may seem crazy to my friends. It may seem crazy to my family. But at your word, I will do what you have said. I'll ask you to put your hand on it with me like he did with Elisha. And then he obeyed. Big, big faith, big victory. But for Jehoash, only three. Hmm. Let's see what happens in the rest of the story. It's very interesting here. It says, then Elisha died and they buried him. That was it. That was the end of the story. These were Jehoash and Elisha's final moments together. The last words spoken from the prophet of God to the king is, why? Why did you only take three? You should have and could have shot five or six. And then he dies. That's it. It's the end. And now Jehoash is left. The prophet is gone. It's now up to Jehoash. He's going to have to step up now. He's going to have to do what God has said. Elisha, in a sense, passed on the directive and said, Okay, Jehoash, it's yours now. It's your time. He was going to have to 
step up to the next level in his faith. It was going to have to be that he was going to set aside all these other gods. He was going to have to repent of following after them. Faith was going to have to be something more than just a weekend gig for him. He was going to have to repent. He was going to have to change. He was going to have to change who he was, how he thought, all that was going on in his life. And that was going to be tough for Jehoash because he hadn't done that before. Verse 20 in the second part says, And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. Moab, not Syria. They fear Syria, but Elisha dies. It's the spring of the year. They're out, and all of a sudden come the raiding bands. Smaller skirmishes, smaller battles, not as big, not as intense, but they show up, the raiding bands. They come to steal, to kill, and destroy. It's what they do. Moab was known for it, and they send this small band And all of this ties with the story. So keep this in mind. Verse 21. So it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders. And they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. So they're out one day. Someone in their community has died. It's time to go and bury him. There's a tomb that's most likely cut out of a rock or a cliff, and it's, it's where others are buried. And they're making this procession there to bury the man. It's a time of great sorrow and sadness, and as they approach, they notice these band of raiders coming. That's not what you want to see when you're at a funeral, is a gang coming after you, right? You've come there to mourn. You're not necessarily equipped for battle in that moment, you've come to bury someone, and they panic. You would think if they had remembered the promise of God, you'd think if Jehoash would have communicated, God's going to give us a victory, God's going to be our strength, he is the one true God, if they had done that, they wouldn't have had the response that they're about to have. They panic. They freak out. They're like, uh, uh, let's get out of here, let's get out of here, and they take the body and they just... And literally, the words there are like, throw it. They just like, let's get out of here. And they take the body and whoo, throw it in the tomb where Elisha has been buried. Now, a lot of time has passed. Some time has passed. And they panic. They don't confidently say, our God can take care of that. That's such a small thing. We're going to do what we came here to do. Let's pray. Thank God for this man. Let's bury him properly. And we'll go home. But they panic. And they take this man and they throw him into the same tomb in which Elisha is buried. Mm. God is faithful even in the times when you think he's left you. Even in the times when it's now on you to grow up. Even in the times when you haven't been faithful God is merciful. God is gracious. And God is about to send a message back to Jehoash to tell him one more time, I am the one true God. He's about to send a message back to Jehoash that tells him, what I told you is true. I am the one who will be your victory. When you trust me, you will 
set the captives free. And it all happens here in this moment. Watch what happens next. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Now, how'd you like to have been in that setting right there? They're bringing a dead man. They get into a situation where they panic, where there's raiders coming, and they like, we got to get out of here. Whoom. They toss him, turn to run, and they're on their way out back home. All of a sudden, they hear, hey, wait up for me. And it's the guy that was dead. As soon as he gets tossed in there, he touches Elisha's bones. It had been a while since he died. He touches his bones, his body dead, touches Elisha's body dead, and this man comes back to life, jumps up out, and runs back to town with him. What you think was dead can be made alive. Amen? What you thought was the end is just about to be the beginning. What you thought God could never do, he's about to do. And sometimes, scratch that, every time... Resurrection only happens when there's been death. You can't have resurrection until something's died. This man had died. Now, what in the world does all this story have to do together? How does all this fit? Seems like two isolated stories. It is not. God is wise, powerful, and pieces his word together for us in all wisdom. When Jehoash didn't think there could be a resurrection of those who had been taken captive. When Jehoash thought Elisha's gone, there's no more hope now for us. When Jehoash is left to have to bear the responsibility, God is merciful and says to him, Look here, I am the one who brings life where there's been death. And I'm about to show you in physical form What happens when you believe my promises? Time may have passed, but they are still true. And when what has been dead touches my promise, there will be life. And he was saying to Jehoash, you trust me. I know you only shot three arrows, but if you'll trust me, we'll get three victories out of this. We're going to set some captives free. And I can bring life there just like I brought life here. You see, you and I look at the Bible and we think, man, that's the most incredible miracle of all miracles for God to raise someone that physically died to bring them back to life. That is the greatest of all miracles. Wrong. Don't be deceived here, folks. That is easy for God. It's all easy for God. But he gives those kind of pictures so that we might know when we need to see another resurrection happen that is a resurrection of someone's heart, that he can bring this to life and he can bring this to life as well. And I'm going to tell you what, you know this. When someone's dead here, it'd almost be easier to raise someone from the dead here than to see resurrection happen here. 
when someone's all wrapped up in bitterness and resentment and anger, when they're all wrapped up in some addiction, when they're all wrapped up in some wrong belief, some false belief, when they're walking in some ways that are counter to God's ways, and they're all wrapped up in that, they are dead to God in that moment. But God can resurrect. But it takes people of faith who will say, I am going to pray and believe. I am going to have my faith opened up so that God can work and I will believe and he will speak and set the captives free. God's called us as a church to do this work. You realize that, right? It's what Jesus came to do. It's what he calls us to do, to set the captives free. And the power to set captives free comes from the reminder of resurrection. That's kind of our big closing point here today. If we're going to set captives free today, whether it be in our family or whether it be in our community or whether it be in our culture today, we've been called to do it, but we are not to be the ones who say, well, you know, I prayed once for my nation. I remember a prayer meeting I was in. It was awesome. We prayed. It was great. And nothing really happened. I prayed again, and it was awesome. I mean, you know, I saw a little bit happen, but... I prayed three times even, and still, and you stopped. You gave up. You put that on the shelf. You thought all of a sudden, yeah, no one can reach this culture. It's too far gone. It's done. We can't. We're too small. We don't have the money they do. We don't have the power they do. They're bigger than us. We're too small. Look, that's what's keeping us here. That's what's keeping the change from happening. Small, tiny, straw-like faith. I'm not sure God can do it. Wrong. God can resurrect a dead man from a dead man's bones. And he can resurrect a nation that seems to be on its path to hell right now when the church comes alive and will believe God for everything that he says. Amen? Amen? And when I say the church... I am talking about everybody else out there, but I'm mostly talking about us. I'm talking about me. Us. We're the ones called. We're the ones that the prophet of God is saying to today. Take a bow. Take the arrows. Face the enemy. We're going to take him down. We're going to set some captives free. And what you need is to be reminded of some resurrections. God reminded Jehoash about this man. We saw a story last week about a little boy that was raised from the dead. Scripture's full of them. They're for encouragement. They're for reminders. We later read about Lazarus resurrected from the dead. We go on and we read about Jesus himself who dies on the cross, is buried in a tomb, dead for three days, but on the third day is risen again. He is resurrected to defeat hell, death, and the grave. Amen? And that resurrection provides us encouragement. It's what is to empower us. But you also have some other resurrections in your life. You have some people you know in your life who once were dead, but now they are alive. Who once walked in selfishness, but now they've been made set free. Who once walked in addictions, who walked in their own selfishness, who walked in their sin, but they've been delivered. Those are resurrections to remind us God can do it again. Amen? 
But I'm going to tell you about another resurrection that you've got to remember. One of those days when you think, I just don't know if God's going to do that in our day. I just don't know if God can really do that. I want to remind you of another resurrection that's happened. It's a resurrection that's very close to home, actually. It's your story. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been resurrected. Amen? You have been set free. You've been called out of the tomb. You've had your sins forgiven. You've had new life breathed into you. You're walking now by faith. So when the enemy says to you, it's just not going to happen, dude. It's just not going to happen. Quit wasting your time. You might as well stop praying. Three is enough. You don't need any more. Just give up after three. It's not going to happen. Just give up. You're not going to see that relative change. You're not going to see anything else happen. You're not going to see your financial situation change. You're not going to see your culture change. You stop and say, hold up. Hold up. I have been changed. In the book of Revelation, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Amen? It's time for us, as the people of God, to know our Lord has been made alive. We have been made alive. And it's time to shoot the arrow and see some others come back alive. Amen? Amen. Hello. It's okay to clap. It's okay to celebrate. So the question is today, what, what's going to happen now with your faith? Are you going to keep straw-sized faith? Or are you ready for something much bigger? Let me read the rest of the story and we'll close today. It goes on to verse 22 and it says that in Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel. It happened. Syria came after him and oppressed them. Verse 25, it says, three times Jehoash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. He did it. He believed God. He remembered the resurrection. And it changed him. He fought. And he captured three cities. He captured three cities full of slaves. Full of people who were being tortured by the Syrians. They were set free because Jehoash believed. Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? God's challenging us with faith today. He's calling us to a place of greater capacity, of choosing to believe him over our circumstances, of choosing to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I will walk, I will believe, I will trust you. Would you bow your heads with me? I have to believe that God is speaking very personally to each of us today, that there are areas in our life where he's calling us to obey. There's areas in our life where he's calling us to greater faith. He's calling us to believe some things that up to this moment we've wrestled with. We've even had small faith with. I just wonder today with heads bowed if God is challenging you to bigger faith I just wonder as a testimony to him not to anyone else. As your own prayer, could you lift your hands as a way of surrender? Just two hands up, surrender. God, I surrender my thoughts to you. I surrender my ways to you. I surrender my life to you. Use me. I want to have bigger faith. 
Father, I thank you for this morning.